Welcome to the Trash Cats Trash Cast. I'm Richard. I'm Steven. And today we're reviewing the work of Tashing Hache, an insane performance artist who broke his ankles and changed the world. <laughs> True shit. This dude is wild. I, I Both of us, I know, aren't super big into performance artists, but this guy is... It, he's pretty special, and it, it's some yeah. uh, pretty radical stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. Um, how was your week? Oh, man. Uh, it's It's been okay, but I'm so tired. It's super necessary. I get some sleep soon, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, I had uh, therapy today, which means I had to take off a couple hours of work. So it means tomorrow... I have to code for 11 hours. Hell yeah, dog. Ugh. And I get the... I get, Fuck yeah, 11 hours of straight coding. Ugh. And I get Saturday off, which I'm going to have to catch up on everything. And then right. Sunday, I'm building a swimming pool, which I don't know why I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> it's it's exceptionally good money for this particular job, and I, I want to help my buddy out, but god damn it. I don't want to go. Let's get you one of those party jugs like I got, and let's <laughs> make sure you bring some some ice. Stop at the gas station, get some ice and some water. Oh yeah, load up. But uh, I I also had a feeling fall out, so I got to. I know Ow. it actually doesn't hurt at all. But dude, this it doesn't hurt to chew on it or anything, or to chew. Not really. It okay because I I got it filled initially. Because there wasn't an actual cavity. There's just holes in my teeth. Oh, dope. So all my back molars. So like I thought that's what a cavity is. Uh, but a cavity, it's uh, like rotten from bacteria. Oh, okay. And mine are like erosion or they're, I, don't, I don't even know exactly. They're, they're, they're fucked up, but they're not like actual decay. They're just like wearing down so fast. Okay. So they filled it and now it, it fell out. So it doesn't hurt or anything, but I got to get it fixed ASAP. And I hate the dentist so much. I assume that's not a cheap fix either. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I'm, ho- I'm hoping it is, though. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Try to talk him into something. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? How's your week? Honestly, I, I didn't even realize a whole week had gone by since we recorded last. It's actually been longer than a week. Just a blink of the eye, huh? Yeah. It's been uh, it's been busy, just working a fucking lot. I was telling you earlier, I got some fucking yard work done today. There's nothing I I don't really like yard work in particular so much, but I I got um a new like weeder and a new lawnmower, and I got out there and started fucking with shit, and I realized more I had more weeds in my yard than I thought I did, <laughs> so I ended up plucking a whole lot of shit and then there are some like bare spots and it's like all right cool i'll go get some grass seed and put that down and then started scraping up some you know like getting the edging done and stuff and it's like all right this what was supposed to be you know maybe an hour or so worth of work turned into three oh yeah the more you do the more you find yeah so i'll uh i'll be fucking with that probably more tomorrow but that's cool though. I, i had to call it for the day it started raining yeah so, uh, before we get to this wild guy, uh, any honorable mentions? I do not have any. Okay, I got three that I am very excited about. 
the the first one I know both of us watched. So this is <laughs> this bit music video is so fucking cool. Yeah, it is a South Korean rapper and former member of Sexy Street and Yellow Music Crew. Now, don't let that name <laughs> turn you off because this video. Uh, oh no! If anything, it should turn you on. <laughs> the 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 guy's name is B Y, all one word B E W H Y, and the song is Gata Sade. So if you look up on YouTube, B Y, and then Gata G O T T A, it'll it'll come up. And that this music video is like one of those war songs that's just on God mode. Like it's yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It, Definitely worth a listen. I I don't like any of the other music I've heard by him, but this particular the the art direction for the video is really cool, and it's it's just one of those powerful songs. And I I love all not all of it, but a, a lot of the the rap music coming out of uh, South Korea is super cool. Uh, Agreed. Did, yeah, you remember the. Uh, Ichima, yeah, Kite. absolutely. Oh fuck, dude! I just love that shit. It's underwater squad, man. Underwater, <laughs> <laughs> so good. Speaking of underwater, second one. So yeah, look up By Goddess Today for the coolest shit. And then uh, speaking of underwater, uh, you know the NFT market OpenSea, right? Uh, no. Okay, so that's the big. It's like the primary NFT market. So that's what Beeble, all of his his stuff was auctioned off on, right? Okay, cool. It's like the main NFT gallery auction site. So as we all know, the old art world has always been so fraudulent, but the new art world is equally so. So oh, good. Yeah. Or as long as we're keeping up with traditions. Of course. And we've I feel like since we've started, we've criticized NFT and like the digital art world. But part of it is that I love it. I just hate that there's so much corruption involved in it too. It's right. it's just the art world. But um, a top former executive at the highly valued NFT startup OpenSea was arrested Wednesday and charged with wire fraud and money laundering in connection Sick. with a scheme to commit insider trading. According to a press release from the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, uh, this article is from TechCrunch, who previously covered the firing of former OpenSea head of product Nate Chastain. Chastain was accused of front-running purchases of NFT collections that he knew were about to be featured prominently on the homepage of OpenSea. His actions were discovered by other NFT buyers who analyzed his transactions on the Ethereum blockchain. So that's one of the cool parts of NFTs. You can see how everyone's wallets work and their purchases and transaction history. So this guy basically, you know, he's one of the top executives for OpenSea. He helps curate uh, NFT launches and before these projects go public for bidding he is essentially getting first pick at them or buying things taking them off the market just doing anything skept 
he can with it before things go public. So OpenSea soon fired Chastain after they determined the allegations were legitimate. The startup has noted that it didn't have specific policies in place prohibiting this type of behavior beforehand, but has since enacted new employee rules. So that's that's part of this whole thing too, is that traditionally in an art market, this would be, you know, obvious insider training or, you know, wire fraud was involved. But for these NFT spaces, it's all kind of open game. And they're just now, like he's probably been doing this openly since the beginning, and they're just now starting to charge people with these type of things. Uh, so OpenSea was most recently valued at $13.3 billion by investors. Yeah, wild stuff. This is one of the first digital NFT art fraud cases, basically. Not the- It's actually, you know... He said it's they didn't have these kind of rules in place, and it's like you know you gotta you kind of gotta do it first and then figure it out as you go. But it still seems like that's I don't know that should have been a an obvious one. I don't know. I, I to be fully honest with you, kind of don't care that much. Yeah, I think any anyone that's basically getting caught for their shady NFT shit, you know. Is it's good they're getting them, but um, all right, last one real quick. This is a movie you were supposed to watch with me, but never did. And I've no, well, okay, (laughs) hang on. I tried, I hold it against you. I also, I I was high and I fell asleep a bunch. (laughs) It's so good though. We we have to rewatch it. It's uh, Enter the Void came out in 2010, directed by. Gaspar No, and the first off, the the visuals of this movie are just wild. It, it is so cool. There's whole parts of the movie that are just color sequences. That's honestly, I remember <laughs> first person perspective of a guy running to a toilet, and then just I would I would wake up and then just be color sequences again, and it looked like a Windows screensaver. And then I'd fall asleep, and then I'd wake back up, and it'd be more of that. And for in my head, I'm like, I feel like that that was the whole movie. It, but it's actually a pretty small percentage of it. A lot of it's kind of like trippy mode, and then there's parts that are just color sequences. But it's pr- it's pretty brief, like by percentage, it's a small percentage, relatively small percentage of the movie. But it. It is done so well that so the plot, the plot makes all of the abstractness of it work really well. The plot is essentially a psychedelic tour of life after death, which is seen entirely from the point of view of Oscar, the lead character played by Nathaniel Brown, a young American drug dealer and addict living in Tokyo with his prostitute sister, Linda, played by Paz de la Hoita. When Oscar is killed <laughs> by... It. Dude, this scene. When Oscar is killed by the police during a drug raid gone bad, it's like his he launches into the DMT world. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's traveling, watching the rest of life happen after he's dead. And his spirit journeys... Uh, I believe to the future and to the past, and he, he sees his parents before 
they die. He sees the present and he witnesses his own autopsy and into the future and it's, it, what happens to his sister. And it's all done through like one of the only portrayals of like a drug trip that looks relatively good. And it looks amazing, but it's like the only time you see something like that that feels well done. Yeah, I'm 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 down to give it another try. Y- you'll like it, I promise. Sick. Let's um let's kick it off with the ankle breaker here. Yeah, jump on in, huh? So our artist today, um Tishing Hashe. I've said his name so many times because I want to get it. Tishing Hashe. And then I remembered he goes by Sam. Yeah. <laughs> so our artist today, Tishing Hashe. Uh, also known as Sam, uh, was born uh, on the 31st of December in 1950. He's a U.S. performance artist from Taiwan. He's been called a master by fellow performance artist Marina Abramovic. Abronovich, I believe. Abronovich. She's so cool. I'm a sucker for her. She's weird, but I like her. I got to look into more of her her work. I know you you told me a lot about her. Yeah. So he was one of 15 children from a family in southern Taiwan. 15 kids, brothers and sisters. That's crazy. Yeah. He enjoyed philosophy and art, but not really academics. So he dropped out from high school and he started creating paintings. After finishing his three years of compulsory military service in Taiwan, he switched from paintings to performance pieces that he called actions. I, I like the actions thing. Yeah, I like I like that he had a you know, you know a term for it. Yeah, it's like it's not a performance, it's just something I'm doing. It is my yeah. action. Yeah. So the ankle break, his first big piece as an artist, right? He's thinking, how can I capture the world, right? How how can I do this amazing action? But as we get into it later, his philosophy on why he did these things and their intentions are it's a bit different than you may initially i don't know think or speculate but this first piece is it's called the jump piece 1973 his first piece of art he jumps from a <laughs> he jumps from a 15 foot two story building and he breaks both his ankles <laughs> he offered no explanation or rationale behind his leap. In fact, almost everything he created offered little to no meaning, explanation, or context. Which is exactly how you introduced this artist to me. <laughs> Steven calls me on the phone the other day and says, Hey, I got an idea for an episode. <laughs> there's this there's this performance artist, and at first, like like we already said, we're not neither one of us is big into performance artists. And at first I'm thinking, oh, this is gonna be rich. <laughs> and he <laughs> and and he says no no he uh in his first one of his first ever pieces he just jumped from a 15 foot building and broke both of his ankles <laughs> and it's like okay cool we definitely gotta talk about this guy like that's so fucking wild <laughs> just badass he's like 21 at this time too or i guess uh 23 and they get a couple like there's photos of him uh like right as he's hitting the ground and from what I understand or remember, he like traumatically fractured both ankles where it it caused like chronic 
lifelong pain or complications. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Is there ever really a good way to break your ankles? Some ways are better than others, but... <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> God, man. 15 feet, you know, you don't think it's that high, but when you land straight on some concrete or, you know... Three short guys on top of each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 10 raccoons. Double like stack. <laughs> man, like that's... Especially, it's not like there was an audience there. This is just like right. a thing he did, and just on the street, he just calls it the jump piece. Jumps Which is out the a perfect window, name for it. Jumps out a window, fractures both ankles. Like what the fuck? Super cool. I love it though. Like, yeah. Have you ever? Are you like? I don't like heights. How do you feel? Um, I'm I'm not good with heights either. So have you ever like jumped off something or got done some like, you know? Something that was intentionally high up just to kind of like push your your limits a bit. Um, never that high for sure. I I did zip lining once. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was uh by the end of it, you know, like they you're you know kind of leaning off the side and you can you'll you feel a lot more comfortable with it. You'll do coasters though, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't when I was a little kid, but I I remember. When I was younger, I, I hated that I was afraid of heights because it was one of the, like, only things that I, I knew I was super, like, really felt uncomfortable with. So I started practicing jumping off my parents' roof. <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's only, like, 10 feet, right? But there was grass. So I, mm. I feel like 15 feet on the pavement is super different, right? Yeah, but I, I started doing that for a while just to kind of, kind of get myself over it, and it definitely doesn't work. But I did like rigging work for concerts and stuff, and I, I can deal with the heights, but I get that like hot feeling on my feet. Oh yeah, for sure. Still don't like it. Yeah, same. It's I feel like it's the the last of the. I, I was gonna say it's an unrational fear, but it's not really an unrational fear. You could it's definitely like super rational. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a survival instinct. Yeah, <laughs> but man, dude, breaking both your ankles like that at the same time, like oh, that fucks up your next two years or whatever. Yeah. <sighs> so, in an effort to pursue a greater creative freedom, he trained to be a sailor, then joined an oil rig headed for the U.S. He then jumped ship in Philadelphia and made his way to New York. He had no ID, no visa, and no idea where he was or how to get into the art scene. So he worked as a dishwasher, a waiter, and a cleaner for four years before getting started with his art in the U.S. Damn, anytime I hear about somebody like during the eight, you know, 18, 1900s that like just catches a boat and comes to america like that it's so gangster yeah holy sh i mean that's like s such a risk like you have to leave your family and give up everything to you know pursue your your dream and take a yeah, boat man. across the ocean so you know and he, he has no visa no fucking no papers at all like, yeah nothing he's just he he got off the boat in philadelphia and said fuck it i guess yeah, i'm just gonna he made his way to new york god damn so he's in America. He's in his like mid 20s at this point, I believe. And he's kind of starting up his art career in the US. His career basically consists of these these actions he takes. So from 1978 to 1986, Sam accomplishes five one year 
performances, which is a pretty unique setup. Most of these pieces, it's like a year performance piece. Yeah. And again, it's not, you know, like you described it really well earlier, their actions. He's, you know, they're things that he's just doing. And some of them become like, you know, you can, people can watch or people can spectate. Sure. But it's mostly, it's just like he decides he's going to do this and then he does it. And it's, it's fucking wild. He didn't have like a gallery. There weren't like, press releases for for these things that it, right, he didn't yeah. have an, a following he just like you said he's he basically could have been a crazy guy in the street just doing something wild and people see how crazy it is and he does build up some notoriety we'll get into that later but really he's just a guy on his own taking these peculiar actions so his first one is called the cage piece it's in 1978 <laughs> And in this performance, which lasted from the 29th of December, 1978, through the 30th of September, 1979, the artist locked himself in an 11 and a half by 9 by 8 foot wooden cage, furnished only with a wash basin, lights, a pail, and a single bed. He stayed inside for a year without reading, writing, or consuming any media. A friend would come by to bring him food and remove his waste, and a lawyer would come and witness and notarize the process. Before beginning, Sam wrote to a number of journalists and artists about his intentions, which led to a series of open viewings, where the public would come to the cage once or twice a month to see it for themselves. Otherwise, it didn't make a huge impression in the art community or any real news. (laughs) It it looks just like a... He basically made a jail cell set. Yeah. He, he put himself in jail. So, I, I I think it's really interesting that, you know, with his first piece, it, it didn't make any splash in the art world, right? Right. And right. that, that kind of sets the tone. He's like, I imprisoned myself for, for, for your viewing pleasure. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no one appreciated it. So, what does he do next? He has to up the ante, right? Of course. I... What do you think that year would have been like? Like oh, I, I bet it sucked ass. Yeah, I feel like a year in a real prison would even be better than that. Yeah, because at least you have like more interaction with people. You have yeah some kind of media. Yeah, yeah. It's the pictures of these exhibits are really cool. Like all the old photos of everything. Yeah, that's the other one. Is a lot of the pictures are black and white, but it's like it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, right. But yeah, it, really, it makes it look like it was a lot longer ago than it was. But. Yeah, dude, isn't it crazy to think? Right, this is this is what in my mind I would consider the birth of contemporary performance art. Right, mm-hmm. like there's not a ton of no, of really notable performance artists. Right, like he, he's at the early days of what right comes to mind for me at least, and this is still the 1980s. Right? Like, shit changed fast. That's, you know, 40 years ago, a lifetime, half a lifetime, whatever. Like, whole whole new worlds of art from the start of, you know, the type of things he's doing, these performances, these actions, to uh, what we think of modern art today, to digital shit, to NFTs. Like, this is all, like, 40 years. 
Yeah. That's crazy. We barely got from uh, playing with sticks and rocks and drawing on cave walls and shit to drawing on a, or painting on canvas within, you know, multiple thousands of years. Right. So this second act, I, I think this, is, if I'm not mistaken, this is the one that I think kind of drew you in the most, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this piece is called the time clock piece. So, you know, he just spent a year in his uh, own prison, his own cage. So it is now 1980. For this piece, Sam punched a time clock every single hour for a year and took a photo each hour to match. He shaved his head before beginning to show the progression of time as it got longer in a series of photos. What this meant is that he deprived himself of any real sleep as he had to wake up every hour to punch in, set up a camera, put on his this jacket he wore, take the photo, and then he had to start waiting for the next hour to do it all over again. Fucking crazy. This all came together as a six-minute video that was like a, an animation almost of every photo he took of him beside his time clock. And you could slowly watch the expression on his face change as the length of his hair grew longer. And a lot of people when watching or reflecting on, on this video, they say that you, you can see the physical toll of a year on, on this man, and especially, you know, the lack of sleep, exhaustion, uh, repetition, and they yep. they say you really can see it on his face that he he gradually grows more and more defeated as the year passes as he's kind of engaging in this uh, performative performative piece of of almost almost like a form of torture. But this it's Sisyphean, it's so wild. Yeah, I feel like this piece more than a lot of the others felt. Like, it had more of an intended, almost, not quite, but almost political goal. Like, this yeah, this felt like it stood for something a little bit more. My, my dad put this into perspective, and I, I, I liked the way that he pointed this out. So, he said that's doing that every time. So, that's like, uh, it's over, I think it's 87, ends up being 8,700 hours mm -hmm. so it, it might have been eighty-seven thousand. I, I forget any or anyways it ends up being the equivalent of what it would be for someone to punch in and out every day for 12 years that's you seven days a week but like that's you mean the equivalent, over your lifetime yeah yeah like over over your career it's 12 years of punching in and out if you had to do it every hour on the hour. No, no. If he, so if you did it every, like twice a day, you clock in, you clock out. So if, if you, let's say you work seven days a week, then it would take 12 years to do that. Like a, a regular person to do that. What it means is to me is like, that's so many people that do that every day without, you know, consciously thinking about it. They would, you know, you show up to your job, you clock in, you, you know, do your work, you clock out, you go home, 
And then you spend, you know, 10, 20 years of your life in that job. And it's, you know, you, you, it's one of those unconscious things that you don't think of, of how many times you've, you've, you know, hit that button and see, I've put the fucking time card in and I feel like I, it's almost all like, not all, but I, I am so conscious over how much myself I feel like I'm losing to make mm-hmm. money. I it it tears me up inside every fucking day. I hate it, dude. You're we're just I, I'm conditioned. <laughs> I see. I feel like I've, I feel like a, a fucking whore every time I clock in. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> another piece of myself sold away. It make I. You know, I, I had that conversation with somebody, um, with a coworker, not too long ago. We were talking about, you know, what what it means like when you go to a job and it's like they said, you know, like, is that really what, you know, my time means to you? You know, an hour of my time, it's it's worth only it's only worth fifteen dollars to you or you know whatever it is, and it's like it's and it's not. I mean, it is like that, and it's not like that, but it's. But we were talking about like, you know, it's crazy that we, we, we do that to ourselves and we're selling our time. And it's like, that's, that's, you know, what we do every single day. It's any, anytime you clock in and you go to work, you're just, you're just selling your time. Unless you work for yourself and you charge by the job. But even then it's, you charge for your time, charge for your labor. Yeah. I always have a little extra respect for people who, you know, they see that future ahead of themselves, like like your dad, and they're like, "Fuck it, I'm good. I can. I will never clock in for anyone else. I have to right, be my own." Yeah. I respect that. I, man, it's a it's a really tricky balance. But what I've come to the conclusion for myself is that i I value my I feel like it's uh the equation is between time and energy, right? yeah, like those are the two biggest resources. Money is just like the third, right like it's it's not as big as time or energy and i I feel like push come to shove, I can generate more energy i as tired as I feel all the time, I will always be able to pull more energy out from inside of me I, I can always like power through and create energy but i can't create time right so, so i'm i'm you know times become the most valuable for me that's but, very fair but I, I you know i had mentioned it felt almost like you know pseudo political where he you know a lot of people i think interpreted this piece as if he was you know making a statement about capitalism or work or right you know, right meaning all those type of things and we'll get into it more later but what i part of what i like about him so much is that he wouldn't really explain these pieces and that the the brief bits he did give were less about those aspects and more just to show the actual passage of time, like yeah. the concept of time, to illustrate what the the effects of time could feel and look like. And I, to me, I find that vastly more interesting than like, 
I'm a slave to the the wage or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I, you know, I don't know about then, but it feels like that's so overdone. The whole eat the rich. Yeah, exactly that kind of shit. And it's like I, I get it totally, but to have something that he doesn't, and I feel like also leaving it more, not giving the all the reasons behind it and all the thoughts behind it that he has, like leaving that more open to interpretation. Like that's what makes art, right? Like that's what makes it's supposed to be, you know, somewhat subjective and, you know, I don't know. It's, I I feel like that's more, I respect a lot of that. Yeah. He plays the part as the performance artist really well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This one, this one stuck out to me. It's just the, the time, the, the 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 sleeplessness and the and he just he did it so and you, it's you, when you watch the video you not only see the his hair get longer like you see the clock just looks like it's just spinning <laughs> spinning spinning spin, yeah yeah very cool so what do you think of this next one this next one I thought was actually I I kind of thought it was kind of cool so he called it the outdoor piece in his third one year performance piece and this is also to be noted. He would take like a few months in between doing these, like five months or so, like five to six months, and then start the next one. Yeah, have to have to heal up a little bit, but not. Yeah, long. like take take a whole year, dog. So, I don't know. <laughs> you just spent two years in prison, basically. <laughs> and his third one year performance piece from September nineteen eighty one to September nineteen eighty two, Hache spent one year outside not entering buildings or shelter of any sort, including cars, trains, airplanes, boats, or tents. He moved around New York City with a backpack and a sleeping bag. This one, this one seems like not entering any kind of shelter, you know, seems like, especially in the wintertime, they said like that year in particular was one of the worst winters that they had seen in New York in a long time. Yeah. And... Like that, that, yeah, fuck that. Um, he did end up going into a building once he got arrested for being homeless. Vagrancy, right? Uh, yep. <laughs> and uh, they took him to the courthouse and he explained what he was doing and they put him back out on the street. That's a and, hell of a you know reason to get set free by the police. I'm yeah. a performance artist. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just pretending to be homeless. He, he had the, <laughs> the the rules of the outdoor piece printed and laminated to his, like, homeless knapsack bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was the only time that he, he entered indoors. He said, that, that was the other thing I liked about this was when he was asked about it, he didn't, he wasn't. He said that he didn't like this one the most out of any of them, and yeah. it wasn't because of the conditions of it. It was because he couldn't shower or bathe himself properly, and he said he smelled bad, and that usually like had an effect on the way that people treated him. He felt ashamed. Yeah, which is, you know, compared, you know, there all the photos of that winter, like ice rivers like feet of snow trying to burn shit to like not die of frostbite. And he, when he reflects on it after all these years, he basically said the shame was worse than any of that. Like that, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I think that's interesting. 
I've never, I've never been homeless like that for real, for real. But the feel, I know the feeling of like, God, like getting out of a, a psych hospital or some shit, not having anything, and just looking like you're, a, you're a mess, right? And right, right. You, you just want someone to let you like use their phone or like get a dollar for the bus, and you're like the grossest thing they've ever fucking seen. That yeah. that feeling of shame, I totally, totally get how that could be worse than than the the year of brutal elements. Right. At least you can wash yourself and you can whatever in the you know in the prisons or whatever that he made. But it's yeah. Yeah, this yeah, one wild. to me felt like the second hardest piece. You know what he should do is go on YouTube and start making. Uh, stealth camper videos <laughs> dude being homeless now if you're smart if you if if not necessarily just smart if you're not like super mentally ill you can do and i, I don't mean that demeaning at all right right, like, right. but it, it, if you're have a pretty good mind you can there are so many fucking resources and shit people want to give you food they want to give you clothes and shit you can you can live okay homeless but you if you're mentally well which you know most people aren't yeah that's one of those and i i assume that's also throughout a passage of time of doing that like over years of being homeless yeah even if you you know go into it and you're yeah you know mentally well that can just probably put a big diminish on that yeah like that i I always hate the, you know, that uh, stupid perception of homeless people being lazy. Like, some of these motherfuckers work harder than anyone you've ever seen. Like, they're they're working five jobs out there in the streets hustling. They're fucking just running to get dope while homeless is a nightmare. Like, there's some hardworking people. It's not, it's not laziness most of the time. It's other shit. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but my... Um my cousin's wife works with, um, you know, house finding housing for homeless people and stuff like that. And she has said that the the really the main issue isn't finding them a house; it's finding, you know, uh, affordable, you know, therapy and like help yeah. for them that, you know, some kind of a you know mental stability that they can work with. And it's that's the biggest problem. I was just listening to a debate about homelessness stuff in california and gods people have so many bad takes but what one of the answers was like hey we're spending and it is a absurd number it's it's over a bit you know so many billions a year on the homeless people in california to to relatively little success right right and compared to other states it's a a seeing amount of money and it's not going far and part of that's because there's a lot of corruption in in the homeless assistance market there but also mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how how much money you throw at a problem if you don't have people like your, your cousin's wife like people that really care and are willing to like actually help a person like the money isn't you know the answer it's the therapy it's, how, it's how the it mental gets used it's where it goes to yeah all good the different medical resources. facilities yeah all that shit you know and it sucks because i think there there is that 
the balanced spreadsheet on the equation is that we there's more money than there is people want to give more money than they are willing time right 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 it's like you can keep putting the money towards problems but if you don't have people who care who are competent that can put that time in it's hard to change right yeah it was really cool one i i so that this next piece the it's called the rope piece and it's very similar right in yeah. a way but i i think i like the rope piece a little more because the outdoor piece feel like i just think it would have been so hard like uh I I have a a lot of empathy for people stuck outdoors and that he would put himself through that as well. But this rope piece was very interesting. So in this performance, Tishing Heshe, or Sam, and another fellow performance artist, Linda Montano, spent one year between the 4th of July, 1983, and the 4th of July, 1984, they spent that year tied to each other with an eight-foot-long rope. That's fucked. Yeah. It's like being a conjoined twin for a year. Oh. So they had to stay in the same room. They took it to the extremes, right? So even if they could, like, you know, eight-foot-long rope, you could, you know take a poop with the person in another room, but they said no. They always chose to stay in the same room when inside, but they were not allowed to touch each other until the end of the one-year period. Both shaved their hair in the beginning of the year, and they both let their hair grow out together over that year attached to each other. So another it's, showing yeah, the passage of time, right? Yeah, yeah. It's And it's... Like you said, I think one of the crazy parts is the, I guess just the demonstrating the time that way and, and again, offering like not a whole lot of like reasoning for it. But I do think that this one, while, while it was definitely, I'm sure it had a lot of weird shit that was difficult that, you know, don't, doesn't really come to mind unless you're doing it. I feel like this one would be more doable. I, more more doable than the other ones. So I think far. I think so too. It, it's less of it's less of you're not confined somewhere. You know, you don't have uh, you're allowed to go indoors. You know, your privacy is a little violated. You know, but yeah, it's it's less of the physical challenge or mental challenging, but more of like a social. Like I don't know exposure, right? He yeah. said he said he did it because he felt more anxiety socially than he wanted to feel around people. So he kind of put the word out and was looking for a female artist he could collaborate with. This that also felt that that social anxiety or or difficulty. So they happened to to match really well, and it sounded like she also really benefited from the experience and they I believe they're lifelong friends after. Yeah, they said they they definitely argued a little bit, but they bonded pretty strongly. I was thinking, man, <laughs> how how shitty would it be to have to be in the same room as two performance artists for a whole year? Oh, I know. <laughs> Holy shit. 
the photos are really funny because they're almost romantic, but there's there's a little bit of that like slapstick comedy to it where one of them looks happy and the other one looks sad or annoyed. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) they definitely look like they had fun with it. Yeah, Um, and and some of the pictures shown, so that's cool. It's so simple. Like, what a brilliant idea, right? right? Like, I don't know. When you think about, like, writing a movie, right? Writing a script yeah, yeah. Or, or writing a book, being an artist, like, there's always so many reasons people can't do things, right? Like, reasons why things won't work out or you can't have this creative career that you're thinking about. And th- both both of these artists, right, they're like nobodies, and they they wrote down an idea and they bought a rope and it's like a you know a lasting piece of art like that's it's going to be the next um blockbuster romantic comedy action, movie action movie just just called <laughs> yeah action uh it's just going to be called they bought a rope <laughs> but there's something to that where like I don't know. It's all about the idea. And that's yeah. that's at its purest when performance art can be really satisfying or or moving. It's just rare because it's those ideas are are difficult. And it feels to me like the easy ones that are easy to understand or conceptualize, but that offer some sort of deeper questioning. Are are the most successful pieces? So, this one, this next piece, I I thought was interesting. So, like directly after this, wrote piece, he's he's now got some notoriety. He's still he's now got some like a kind of a foot into the door of the the art world, and you know people know his name and know his work and. So he decides for one year he's going to unaffiliate himself with art in any way possible. So this was, just to double check, this was his last piece, right? His last performance piece. The last one year piece. And Dude, I think this is, I think, what really sold me on him. Because I think the, the piece title is titled No Art Piece. And I think it is one of the most sadistic cruel pieces of art i have ever seen like yeah. this is so brutal yeah oh it, for, it would be absolute torture for you <laughs> i couldn't do it oh my god it's so cool though so he he didn't make any art he didn't talk about art he didn't look at anything related to art he didn't read any books about art and he didn't any enter any uh, museums or galleries which i feel like i've kind of i've probably done that unintentionally before <laughs> for a full year but it's um you know especially for someone who's trying to make a living on their artwork to get like just get in the door and be like all right now fuck all of it it reminds me of you so much of your um you were talking about the you know reap castle carve you, you build your castle and then and then fuck that fuck castle, that castle. <laughs> dude but I could be mistaken. I, th- I, for some reason, I'm remembering. Was part of it he worked on art every day for a year, and then he gave it all up? No, or am I mistaken? That's his next piece. 
Oh, okay, okay. So after he finished that, from 1986 to 1999, he worked on what he called his 13-year plan. At the beginning of it, he declared, he will make art during this time, will not show it publicly. So this plan began on his birthday. Remember, he's born on the 31st of December. Hmm. It began on his 36th birthday in 1986 and lasted until his 49th birthday and the 31st of December, 1999. So for 13 years, he made art all throughout the time. He just didn't show it publicly. He kind of like disappeared, kind of hermited a little bit. And then he sends out this ransom note looking ass letter. I I thought it was the, they literally, they showed a picture of the letter and it's like, um, like clippings of um, um, the cutout, you know, uh, magazine scraps. It just says, I kept myself alive. I passed the December 31st, 1999. And he stopped making art ever since then. That See, that's the part that's so, the brutal part. So yeah, he said, fuck it. I'm done. He does no art for a year, right? He's like, I've been doing daily art performances basically for the last five years. But now I'm going to spend a year doing no art, even though it's my passion, my purpose, whatever, like no more art. So he does the no art for a year piece. And then that turns into the 13 year plan where for 13 years he makes art constantly but he will not show it right will not show it publicly i believe they said he was putting everything into his own vault or archive and then at the end of the 13 years he sends a like ransom note that says i kept myself alive i passed the december 31st 1999 and then he he gave up art altogether and it, it and it wasn't that he like was like, oh, I'm done with art now. It was that I will now deprive myself of art forever. And the the remainder, the, the only other art I ever made is like in this archive, unshown to people, and I will no longer do art. Yeah. That's masochistic as fuck. Yeah, it's, it's so fucking wild. <laughs> so ins- Dude, that like... Uh, like that's so cruel. It's that, so, that's breaking, Stephen. <laughs> oh my god! There's no way. Like Stephen would rather be waterboarded <laughs> for 13 years. Yeah, exactly. I, I could do the part. Like if I, I would be a little sad, but I don't. I get satisfaction from showing my art to people like you, right? Yeah, or like people yeah. I care about. It's it's cool to get some positive feedback posting stuff but i really don't give much of a shit if i had to do the 13 years where i couldn't share my art with anyone that would that's a lot it would be a lot but i think i'd be okay but the part of after that you can no longer make art would I, i have to think it it was soul crushing to him but it was a you know it feels like part of these actions were the challenge of it to over to set a goal overcome it achieve it to like to to learn and build something along the way that was internal i don't know right 
there's something to that for him. It's got to be. Yeah, it's got it's got to be a, a a more personal quest. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2008, MIT Press published Out of Now, The Life Works of Tshin Hache by Adrian Heathfield and Hache. The year after its release, Hache told the New York Times, quote, because of this book, I can die tomorrow. Damn. He's he's just so hardcore. Yeah. He's hardcore. He got, he was published and, you know, the, the whole, the book's like a... It talks with him. There's like an interview with him and there's a bunch of other artists that talk about him and his work. But I I thought that was, I think that's a pretty hardcore way of looking at it. Like I've gained the notoriety. People recognize what I did. I can die now. It feels a little sad. Like it's romantic. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's the right word for it. It's romantic. Yeah. In 2009, right after that, the museum of modern art, exhibited a collection documenting his work. The exhibition titled Performance One to Xing Xie was an inaugural inaugural installation in a series of original pieces uh, at the museum, uh, excuse me, performance pieces at the museum. Positively reviewed by the New York Times, the show led to a larger recognition of Xie's work. Yeah. Which is also cool that more now more people are being aware of it. and like you know it's 2022 i just learned who it was you know yeah in their 2013 list of the greatest performance artworks complex wrote that the one year performance of 1980 to 1981 the time clock piece is thought to have bridged a gap between industry and art in a way particular to the individual that warhol's grand factory pieces couldn't achieve Better than Warhol. Fuck Warhol, yeah. You heard it here first. Fuck Andy Warhol. <laughs> yeah, Complex said it in 2013, so you know it's true. <laughs> you already know that shit's true. He's way cooler than Warhol, though, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. That's without que- any kind of question. You know, I missed this. I-, I think you may have mentioned it at the time, but that Warhol doc series on Netflix, the new mm-hmm. one, all of Andy Warhol's voice is AI. Oh, weird. The entire show is narrated by Andy Warhol uh, from his diary. And he was an extensive diary writer and like phone calls on message machines and stuff. But I didn't realize they used all written stuff and had really fucking good AI recreate him speaking it. The entire documentary is narrated by AI. That's Re- really weird. Really well, though. It's it's actually really fucking cool. It is. There's I ethic mean, still questions. fucking Warhol. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the philosophy behind his piece. This is a excerpt from somewhere else, but I did think it was um, pretty pretty well put together. Um, So his pieces are not feats of stamina, nor consciously motivated by a desire to suffer, although they have been described as ordeals, but rather are exploration of time and of struggle. According to American cultural critic Stephen Shaviro, Hache's work can be seen as being about imprisonment, solitude, work, time, homelessness, exposure, marriage, human relations, and the way in which art and life are related. The artist himself states his work is about... Quote, wasting time and free thinking. (laughs) 
what a beautiful explanation of years of hard work. So basically, I wasted my time. <laughs> it's so interesting. Yeah. I. It's one of those things where I wish we could hear him speak at length about how how these actions really felt to him or what his goals were. But if he did, it would destroy the meaning would be lost. Right. Right. Like the fact that he calls it wasting time and just free thinking is part of and then refusing to, to tell you anymore is part of what it makes it so special. That's what makes it art. Yeah. I guess it's not what makes it art, but it's a it's a component of it for sure. It's a definitely a facet of it. Yeah. A little after 1999, Sam declared he was no longer an artist. He has, however, continued to give interviews to an art audience. I think that's really cool. He does the interviews and stuff now in his old age. He's yeah. still alive and kicking. He also has expressed he likes the work of Praxis. I was not really familiar with it's a artist duo art project, I guess. But, uh, you know, he still engages in these new contemporary art acts, I guess, or comments on them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's I definitely think it's cool that he still talks to people in the art world and you know, will talk to people who want to hear and want to listen to what he has to say. And I I, I mean, you know, because he he's, I wonder if he's got an Instagram. Uh he's got a website. I forgot to check for Instagram, but he's really is one of the like biggest influencers on contemporary artists today. Like I would be surprised if any successful contemporary artist does not accredit some of their inspiration or at some point was influenced by him like he's he's og as fuck yeah i did have a couple different artists that he had an influence and talk about him as an influence for their work one of i don't remember the other artist's name but i do remember the one um, is a YouTuber. They create the, uh, his name is Bennett. He makes the oh, I, uh, sitting and smiling videos. Oh, yeah. And then you mentioned Ah Weiwei too. Right? Uh, yeah. So he actually, he knows, he's good friends with Ah Weiwei. And he, he apparently used to be, um, he used to rent <laughs> like a, a apartment or something from him. So I think that's kind of cool. He has a personal connection with him. Are you familiar with, much of Abwe's work? Um, I know about the Fireworks. Smashing the Han Dynasty piece, and um, his work is a lot to do with um, like Chinese cultural yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. I, here's, I think he is a really cool dude, but I think most of the art's pretty fucking lame. I, I haven't. Um, like, to shame, I don't did remember. Yeah, I can't say I re- could recall too many specific pieces of, of his, but I I feel like I liked what I saw, or at least I thought yeah. it was interesting. He did uh, a Especially piece- Especially compared to, you know, some most performance artists. <laughs> uh, yeah, Abwe did a um, performance-ish piece for, I think it was the Japan Olympics? Is that- mm. Yeah. And I get the Olympics confused all the time, but it was- so the idea was a Jacob's ladder, you know, like the the ladder going from the earth to heaven. Yeah. And it's like a gigantic ladder that's 
hung in the sky and it's like outlined with fireworks and set to explode where it looks like a ladder is disappearing into the heavens. And that was like a big piece in the Olympics. Nice. There's, there's a documentary about him making that piece and some of his other works. Uh, I think it's on Netflix. That's really cool. Like he, he seems like such a cool dude and his ideas are so cool. I just don't really give a fuck about most of the shit he makes. Very fair. Yeah. So the first thing when we started talking about this artist was, is this, the first thing I thought of was, is this art? Because, and I had to go back and forth with myself about this because I, and I've landed on that. It definitely is. But for a, for a while I went back and forth with, if you're not, I don't know. I, I felt like the, the not giving and the, the reasoning behind it, it kind of deprived it of being a, a message. And then I came back to, well, that makes it more open to interpretation. So it's really more like more common art than it's not. I guess it's more relatable to the modern understanding of art than it's different from it. It's. Can I. Let me interrupt you. I yeah. don't. I don't fully understand that first question on if it is art. Like, why Why is there a question? Why did you feel like you questioned uh, be, if it mostly was Mostly, it's, it's more of a simplest, uh, um, a simplistic way of phrasing more of like, is this bullshit or is this, you know, because we see, especially during that era, there was a lot of other artists that were just making bullshit and saying it's art, like, like Warhol. And I feel like a lot of that I I don't I don't I don't really, don't really consider it. I mean, te- technically, yes, it's art, but I don't consider it to be artistic. Well, I guess because I I think a lot of people would close-minded losers would I see how a lot of people would think what he did wasn't art. I. Th- so I feel like the question should almost be more posed is, is it art of value or not? Because, mm. because yeah. I know you think it is worthwhile, but yeah. I, I, I very much see, especially during the time, how a ton of people would not think what he did is art. But if somebody's like picking their nose and, sculpting their boogers i still would consider it art i just yeah. might i might think it's bad art and <laughs> no it probably it, you mean it depends on how good the sculpture is but <laughs> that's the truth you know because they could be glazing it putting it in the the pottery oven they could be doing some beautiful stuff you never know that booger art <laughs> but i don't i i think it's definitely art of value I think it, I don't know. I think that's a better, I think that's more of what I meant, I guess. I know it is. By is this art, yeah, but thank you for um, explaining that. I forget sometimes that we're. We think of it differently. We we get each other. Yeah. Not everybody that listens to this knows, has known us for 15 years. They're like, these idiots did a whole podcast about this cool art, and then they end it by saying, is it art? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I for sure think it's valuable. I think it's very intriguing and cool. 
especially during that time period. I, I don't know that there's a lot of other, I mean, obviously I didn't know about him until a couple of few days ago, but I feel like there, you definitely don't hear about a lot of anything else like that during that time period. I will say my understanding, right. Is this, you know, this, that era of time was kind of like the birth of what we would call contemporary art, but contemporary arts, people have always done something, you know, contemporary art is, is, you know, it's within like the last 40, 50 years or so. It's like, so even if you were like in, but think about like Diogenes, right? If he was around today, he could be a contemporary artist, or, right? Or, yeah, ma- or even Matt during his guy. time, he would have been a contemporary artist, right? That's what. I'm yeah, saying. yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, the, it's always kind of existed, and I feel like during that era of the seventies, eighties was kind of the explosion. Like you think of all, all the the whole counterculture, uh, Woodstock, all all the you know, orange sunshine acid. Like I'm sure there were all kinds of like weird, lame hippies doing contemporary art, but there wasn't, (laughs) it still would have been pretty, you know, out of the normal. And then most of it's going to be shit too. And he was one of the, I, I think it comes down to the ideas and how he implemented them were, were, so interesting that it that it holds and retains value over the years right because he yeah. wasn't even that popular in at the height of his career and then today he's looked back upon fondly by all these other artists he inspired which i, I think that part of it's so cool yeah i think it's also this something to say that he approached them approached these actions with the mindset that I'm creating art by doing this rather than he did these things. And then on looking back, we say, Oh, that was very artistic or that was, you know, that's an art. If you you know, (laughs) he did an art, bro. He he did an art, man. Um, I feel like the way that he approached it in that direction is, is really cool too, that he knew in his head that like, this is, I'm doing something. And, you know, he, he had the the mindset of like this is this is what I'm going to accomplish and and did it. And also, you just brought up Woodstock, and it made me go back and check uh, the dates on that. That's sixties, right? Yeah, yeah, it was in in sixty nine. Yeah, sixty nine, um, Yeah, so I was looking back to see if uh, I thought it was in. I I couldn't tell if uh, he would have been in the the prison, but it was seventy nine. He was in the the cage. Mm. I was thinking, how crazy would that be to go into lock yourself in a wooden prison, and then you with no consuming any kind of media, no reading the newspaper, no whatever, and then you get out and you hear about this legendary concert or <laughs> it's a, a, a whole f- cultural phenomenon of shit. It's like, my, fucking my, missed it. Yeah, my uncle went a couple years, but I don't think the I forget which year was the really big one. Uh, sixty nine. Sixty nine. I think he went to like other years, but missed the the banger, <laughs> <laughs> the the big banger, the big dirty banger. Yeah, one of our mutual friends' parents both went to that, but they didn't know each other at the time. That's completely cool. off topic, but I thought it was fun. Like, yeah, cool story. Dude, you know who uh, Hache reminds me a bit of? Who? 
and it's supposedly, you know, he influenced her quite a bit, is that uh, Marinara Abramovich. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, here's the deal with her, right? She is intense. She is, like, such a fierce, strong woman, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I, I... think most of her art is kind of trash right right she's got a (laughs) she's kind of like tech nine right where (laughs) just just at least one good banger out of a whole album yeah it's all right and for a contemporary artist that's that's pretty high (laughs) yeah but she has this piece called the artist is present and she's done it i think fairly often over the years throughout her career where she, she'll be at like a MoMA or, you know, Contemporary Art Museum or whatever. And there'll be a line of like VIPs for the exhibit just lined up into a gallery room. And at some point while they're all waiting, she comes into the room and sits down at a table. And then, you know, just like the title of the exhibit, the artist is present. And the first person in line sits down at the table with her and she just looks them dead in the eye, right? And they have, she will sit there looking the person in the eye until it provokes this emotional, interpersonal reaction between them. And it sounds so silly. And some of these videos are like 30, 40 minutes long per person, right? Some of them are quick, some are long, sometimes nothing happens, but you often watch over, you know, a relatively short course of time, these two people connect, bond, and often the the guest presenting themselves to, to her often, like, breaks down and cries. She has this really... Really like soul piercing gaze, and she finds a way to like get through to these people in a, in a meaningful, emotional way that leaves these people shook. It's really interesting. Yeah, like it's a little woo wooey for me, but the woo woo <laughs> the reactions are so powerful. It's there is a genuine human connection or interaction happening it's really cool yeah i gotta look up look up some of those works yeah i know you told me about that and i haven't haven't seen any of it myself it's worth watching it feels like a i don't know just like a a therapeutic an art therapy thing almost Yeah. yeah i got got another question here if you had to be tied to one person you've either never met or barely know who would you choose? So never met, meaning like a celebrity or someone that, you know, you know of, or someone you barely know, whether it's like just like some cool person that works at the gas station that you go to all the time and you don't really know each other, but like you recognize each other when you see them kind of thing. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, Better example, you, and you can you know go the the famous person route. Just hand, handcuff the Elon Musk for years. Yeah. 
I'm rich and first in line with her. Like, yeah, you don't actually get any of the wealth, but you get all of the benefits of. Hey, he can't hide his credit card number from me that long. Yeah, what, it, what, <laughs> what's he going to do? Ride and coach? No. <laughs> or, or, you know, tied by a, a rope to, to Biden's belt loop and be... <laughs> <laughs> Biden's little bitch boy. <laughs> just picture all of the press conferences, and you—it's <laughs> just all of these people in suits and <laughs> addressing the State of the Union, and you're just—and Stevens just standing there in the back, just kind of oh, twiddling your thumbs God. or looking at your phone and oh. your vape, and just kind of. <laughs> I'd be recommending policy every day. <laughs> I'd be puppet mastering Biden. <laughs> I, I like those. Those are good. What about you? you um, actually, I, not, I hadn't really think think about it too much. I honestly, I like the I like the Biden one. That's really funny. It, that's I think really that's good. The funniest by far. And then he might die early, and he'd have to drag <laughs> him with you for the next six months. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the grave only goes six feet, Stephen. You got two feet of rope there. Honestly, if we'll I bring had, you a tent, <laughs> if I had to do it, I think the person I'd most easily survive with would be Sarah. But man, after that year, I don't know how close we would be. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fair. I got one more here. If you could come up, and, and this is mostly for you. I don't have anything for this. Okay. But I figured you would be able to come up with something either on the spot or you'd already been thinking of it. If you could come up with one of these kind of actions on your on, like along this line, what would you suggest? What would you do? Or not even for you to do, but like just a concept i just saw that question like 30 seconds ago so i'm gonna try on the spot but my first thought i have an idea it's a room full of mirrors (laughs) (laughs) i'm back in mirror world shit's getting strange now my first thought is it has to be something very visceral it's all about the idea and it has to be like striking or something that anyone can do. I think that's part of what makes uh acts so strong is that anyone could do them. It's just yeah. that they didn't have the idea or they didn't have the courage to try, right? It's just a straight up fortitude to do it. Yeah. So I really like the idea. It's going to be a little graphic, but I really like the idea. You're in a room. Um, you remember the robot room? That robot that swept the blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Imagine being in an all-white room, like relatively big. It could be like a. Uh, how much do I got in me? A, th- a thirty by thirty room, right? Okay. And you are locked in that room like Saul, right? There could be viewing windows, perhaps, but you don't get to leave that room. Until you become that room. Until you become that room? Yeah. So you you have nothing but yourself. You're naked in the room. And you have to fill that room with yourself. So my first thought would be you have to paint that whole room with, with your body, with blood, right? So you're locked in the room until every inch of the room is red. Pissing on the ceiling. Yeah, how crazy of a video would that be if you're locked in a room for like however fucking long it takes you, six months, a year, two years, and you have to paint 
the walls like a solid red of your blood. Like that would be now, so now here's visceral. the thing. Because it to be something that a person could do. I could do it. <laughs> is there like anything to sleep on? Is there Nothing. a blood pillows? You gotta sculpt little scab. <laughs> you gotta pillows make your own pillows your out of blood. Head. Yeah. <laughs> um, w- anywhere to shower or bathe in any way? Nope. Every couple days they give you a a decontamination. <laughs> they give you a, they give you a warm wet sponge and a pat on the back. <laughs> yeah, so you don't create a super AIDS in there. <laughs> they but, they release you back into the world and it's another pandemic. <laughs> yeah, but I, there's something there. I feel like filling in a, a, like painting a room with your just your body or having to. All right, other ideas, maybe less. Hey, here's one. Uh, it's similar to the the line. Instead of the room with the robot arm cleaning up the blood, you are the robot arm, and you go in for you know however many hours a day, cleaning up, or just pushing blood around in a room, pushing something around in a room that keeps like splattering and making more of a mess as you do it. It's another Sisyphean task. Yeah. That almost you could almost do a, a Zen garden. Oh yeah, that that self clears itself. And that just gets Zen so, garden. So you never get the satisfaction of fulfilling it, right? Yeah. So you, you'd be locked into a everlasting Zen. What else would there be? That uh, sounds like torture after a full year. <laughs> that sounds <yeah>. terrible. <laughs> Definitely, I, I feel like something with hmm. Different sense stuff. Like I was just gonna say, like a, a an ultimate sensory deprivation. Yeah, like spending. Um, that goes back to the CIA torture we talked about too, though. Yeah, like having, like having to live in a sensory dep- deprived state of some sort. I don't know, maybe maybe you have to stay in a room and they make you do heroin every single day. <laughs> I for would years hate that. on end. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't make computer. me do it. <laughs> <laughs> they give you a computer with internet and lots of food and munchies and they say you have to do all these drugs or you'll never leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, what am I gonna do? <laughs> I know, I have to. <laughs> I guess I'm just going to snort my way out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> like Toucan Sam, I'm going to follow my nose wherever it goes. <laughs> I remember saying that to people on the street. What you getting up to that? Just <laughs> straight Toucan Sam and follow my nose wherever it goes. Oh, sweet Jesus. Got to get that vitamin H. <laughs> Yeah, so Tishang's just the coolest. I don't I don't know, is there you got anything else? Um no. Um I, l- I definitely I like, wanna check out the website. Yeah, the, uh check out his website. It's Tishing it's T E H C H I N G S I E H dot net. Hell yeah. Dot net. He's still got he's got a publicly available email. You can reach out to him. We're gonna send him this episode, try to get him to to vote trash cats in the upcoming elections. <laughs> um, I really be like our first guest on the show. <laughs> that would be so cool. That would be that be super cool. <laughs> He's the ankle breaker himself, king of Snap City. <laughs> My dude, Tishing Hashem. 
um, I think that's uh, that's going to be all for us today, right? I think so. Hell yeah. Yeah. Don't forget honorable mentions to check out Bawai, the music video for Gotsa Day. Yep. Uh, Enter the Void. And then just Google the open sea stuff so we can see some loser art fraud fraud or go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thank you to Approaching Human for the use of his music. You can find his work on Approaching on SoundCloud at Approaching-Human. Thanks, John. <laughs> uh, make sure to check out the show page at Trash Cats Trash Cast on Instagram for news and art from the show. Also, check out Facebook for the memes. For the memes. If you're super bored, you can check out my trashy art. On Instagram at skyzixxyzixx, I'm stuck right now. I'm I'm working. All right, I have my You've ward. Put up a couple new pieces lately. I don't know. I can't remember. But I I like the. I have some war dog pieces over the year. Like every year, I do like a war dog piece, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm working on the newest war dog, and it is so. It's got gold jaws and uh, whited out eyes it's so fucking brutal but i can't figure out it's a little topper i need i need a top of the piece i just have this weird dog deformed dog (laughs) (laughs) but it's gonna be really cool so working on that um i just thought of a really good collaboration idea okay for you and me i find the um resource materials um, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for for that? The assets, if you will. Send them and my then, way. And then you do whatever you want with them. I'm down. All right, Fuck cool. Yeah. Check out Dishing Hache. Uh, we'll post some pictures and stuff. And next week we're doing a freestyle. And then we got some, uh, cool ideas for what's next. So it'll be cool. Hell yeah. That's going to be all for us today. Stay classy, eat trashy. Go fast, eat trash. Fuck yeah. Greatest podcast ever. (laughs) Yeah, it was good.